This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 388. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and this is the final in a series of interviews I had the privilege of recording at the Sig Sauer booth while at SHOT Show 2020. We've released these six episodes over the last week, and I'll tell you, it has been a lot of fun. We've talked with Max Michelle, Hannah Bilodeau, Lena Michalek, Daniel Horner, Bruce Gray, and now it's my privilege to bring to you an episode recorded with Jack Carr, author of The Terminal List and True Believer and the soon-to-be-released, in fact, on April 14th of this year, a new book, Savage Son. I had a lot of fun talking with Jack Carr. He is a former Navy SEAL sniper. He's an outdoorsman. In fact, if you go to his website, officialjackcar.com, I'll tell you, you're going to really like it because this is one of our guys. Uh, as far as his, he, you go to his website, and I'll tell you, there's a video montage playing in the background on the main page that just opens with him running through the woods and the wilderness and then shooting a crap ton of guns. <laughs> so. Jack Carr is the man. Uh, I just started reading this last week. His first book, The Terminal List, which my understanding is is going to be made into a movie. So that's really cool. And uh, you know, this book actually was a copy he handed to me personally after we recorded this interview and signed it for me. And I'll tell you, thank you so much, Jack. I will treasure it forever. And I am thoroughly enjoying the book. In fact, <laughs> right from the opening of the book, I was hooked because he starts by describing the main character, James Reese, who is in the mountains of western Wyoming, right along the border with Idaho, uh, and describes the environment exactly how I know it, because that's my country, and I drive through there all the time as I uh, travel back home to see family and, and for various activities and things, and uh, I love that part of the world. And in fact, I'm pretty sure I know the exact location where James Reese sets up in the opening of that book and the precise location on the road that's referenced. I don't want to give away too much now, okay? But I'm pretty sure I know exactly where this dude is at in the opening scenes of this book. And so immediately, I was in love. Guys, I think if you haven't already picked up a copy of The Terminal List, his first book, you're going to want to do that. And I'm already looking forward, I'm sure, to reading True Believer. And I'm sure by the time Savage Sun is released, it will be in my hands as well. Well, I'm, I've talked long enough, but I do want to recognize and give a big thank you to Sig Sauer for partnering with us, inviting us into their booth, into their podcast area up on the upper level. And it was just so much fun to hang out with those guys, with Hannah and all the gang, and record these interviews for you guys, our listeners, this last uh, week while we were at Shot Show. So I hope you've enjoyed the content. Uh, some you know maybe different, unique things that you've heard on the show this last week that maybe you aren't accustomed to hearing. We'll get back into the regularly scheduled programming here the next week. But uh, until then, enjoy this interview with Jack Carr. I know you're going to love it. Let's roll that tape now. 
Welcome, guys, back uh, to Shot Show 2020. This is our final interview of the week. Final interview? I'm final the final interview. one. This is awesome. <laughs> I started here. Uh, it was the first interview with Kyle Lamb uh -huh. in the Shot Show booth, and now I'm finishing it up, anchoring it. There you, you go. This is awesome. I love it. Bookends. Book yep. That's <laughs> it, which is very appropriate. We're going to be talking about an author. books today. Uh, guys, the voice you're hearing is Jack Carr, now famous, very famous uh, author. Famous, but uh, I feel very fortunate that, uh, that uh, people are liking these Dude, novels. Dude, you're taking off like wildfire. I see it's you crazy. everywhere, and it uh, appears that your books are selling extremely well. They're uh, exceeding expectations, as they tell me at Simon & Schuster, which is, uh, which is a good thing. That's good news. That means more books in your future. I hope so. If you like so, to write, uh, that I is. Do. I love love <laughs> writing, and uh, I grew up reading in this genre, reading guys like uh, Tom Clancy and David Morrell and Nelson DeMille and A.J. Quinnell and J.C. Pollock, these guys in the 80s. That had protagonists with uh, backgrounds that I wanted to have in real life one yeah. day. So as yeah. a kid, you know, yeah. growing up in the 80s, you're essentially watching movies. You're watching Chuck Norris. You're watching Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, you're watching Sylvester Stallone. And for me, I was reading all these novels and eagerly yeah. awaiting the next one from these authors. So I always knew that uh, one day after I served my country in uniform, that I would transition and start writing the kind of books that I had been reading growing up. That so is awesome. I just, uh, as I was getting out, gave it a shot. And then uh, yeah. here we are anchoring the SHOT Show 2020. That's great. Now, did you actually have any training in writing? Or is it just something that came naturally to you? you know, it came very naturally to me because my mom, my mom was a librarian, so we grew up with this love of mm. reading, and uh, we spent a lot of time in the library researching. So when I told her I wanted to be a Navy SEAL, uh, we went down to the local library to do research in like mm. very early 80s. So you could do that research in about an hour. There was hardly <laughs> anything written about SEALs sure. back then. A couple right. of that nonfiction mentions, and that was it. But, right. uh, but my takeaways were, uh, hey, this is the toughest training ever devised by a modern military, or at least that's what I read in uh, Soldier of Fortune magazine, Gung Ho magazine, and a couple of little articles that uh, chapters that were in, in some nonfiction books back then, uh, and that uh, that SEALs were kind of touted as a very elite fighting force. And so that's all I needed to hear as a seven-year-old kid. You know, that, that's all the recruiting they needed to do. Yeah. I, was, uh, I was totally in. But all that reading that I did back then, that really gave me that foundation. Those, those authors that I mentioned were my early professors in the art of storytelling. Um, I could identify what I liked, what I didn't like. And then my mom introduced me to uh, Joseph Campbell, who mm -hmm. did a series of interviews with Bill Moyers in 1988 called The Power of Myth. And he talked about the hero's journey and how across cultures, different, different cultures that never had any interaction with one another, they had a very similar tradition of storytelling. A reluctant yeah. hero who goes on a journey, who meets a mentor, who gives him knowledge or some sort of a tool uh, to help complete his task. The hero is tested in some sort of a crucible and then emerges transformed and usually returns back from where they came to pass those lessons on right. uh, to their society, to the next generation. So um, I, seeing that in 1988, I was able to then apply that model to things that I liked and then to say, see things I didn't like and say, hey, did it did it follow that model or did it, did it vary? And is that why mm. perhaps it wasn't very good or I didn't like or it didn't resonate with me? Mm. So um, as far as studying, no, uh, no specific. I didn't take a class. I read a few books on, on writing, one called On Writing by Stephen King, um, a mm. few books on the creative process by Stephen Pressfield, who wrote Gates of Fire, Legend of Bagger Vance, oh, yes. uh, and a couple other ones, uh, the successful novelist by David Morrell, who created Rambo back in 1972. <laughs> but uh, I, I think there, you can study how to do something too much uh, and eventually you just have to actually go do it. Yeah. So that's what I tell people and everybody's going to have a different threshold for uh, for how much they need to know, how much they need to study, how much they need to look into something before they actually start applying themselves to doing it. Yeah. Uh, and mine was to read those few things but I had a very solid background reading growing up and knew what I was going to do so it wasn't, uh, wasn't something I woke up one morning and then decided to do uh, which I think would probably be 
a little a lot more difficult. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I love what I'm love what I'm doing now. Love what I did in the SEAL teams. Feel uh-huh. very fortunate to have uh, had a good run for 20 years, and then uh, feel uh, like I'm like have found my next purpose in life, that next mission, and uh, love writing. Love That's absolutely awesome. love every part of the process. That's super cool. Now I got to ask. Uh, I mean, you became a SEAL, uh, which is. I mean, that's remarkable to me. When I talk to guys, that, and actually a lot of SEALs I've talked to, uh, you know, they, 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 I've talked to several that said, I knew I was going to be a Navy SEAL. I think there's something to that because you're already making up your mind in advance. Like, you're, you're making that decision. Like, I'm going to do that. I know it's going to be tough. I know it's going to probably suck at times, but I'm going to do it. But yet, there's tons of guys that go to BUDS and just get wiped out. Yep. So, and, and obviously guys that, you know, go back again and again, and maybe it takes a second or third time, but uh, I was actually kind of curious, uh, a lot of folks will look at the SEALs as, as our heroes of our nation. So is that hero model, has that played uh, out in your life? Well, there's a few things there. And one of them is because I wanted to do this from age seven. Um, mm-hmm. I, I told people, I told my parents, I told my friends, I have relatives that one day I was going to be a SEAL. And yeah. back then it's like, I got That's the awesome. same looks that I got when I told people I was going to be an author. It's kind of like, that's nice. You'll grow out of it. You know, that's what, that's what you get from most people. Um, but I just never vary. I never, uh, never wavered from, uh, from wanting to do that. And even at that early age, I started essentially training for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I got older, I started running cross country or going into the back country with my parents, backpacking and that sort of thing, rock climbing, mm-hmm. uh, doing things that would push myself, make me, make me uncomfortable, make me, um, uh, a more self-reliant person. And uh, I think all that, all that helped. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Going to bud, so yeah, eighty percent is what you read, and that's all the thought I gave to it. I'm like, well, I'll be in the twenty percent. That's all the thought I gave to how hard buds is, is or is going to be. Yeah, eighty percent quit. That's why I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so in Hell Week, when you typically get most of your attrition, I remember being there in the surf zone, and the waves are crashing over your head, and you're linked. You have your arms linked with your the other guys in your class, and you're freezing, and you're shaking, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to do this till Friday? Wow, it's only it's only Monday. Uh, or no, it's only Sunday. That's right. It's only <laughs> Sunday evening. Um, but then people get up and quit. And typically, it was the guys that, uh, when I showed up, had uh, been like the fastest, the strongest, uh, the loudest. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, when you show up, you're like, wow, look how strong that guy is. This is before CrossFit. This is like you know, 1980-style body, bodybuilding, uh, encyclopedia bodybuilding by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. And, then, and then run as far and as fast as you can. Like that, that was the training back then. Now, obviously, it's a lot more scientific. People are eating right. They're sleeping. They're, they're doing all these things. Uh, but... 80% attrition is still what we get. Yeah. But point being, people would get up out of that surf zone, those guys that were strongest, fastest, whatever, they'd get up and quit. Yeah. And a lot of the class would say, come back, come back. And I was always like, oh, come back, come back. Because I did, like, this is working. Right. If this person wants to quit, this is the program working. And yeah. that person needs to go. Um, so yeah, it was a good, uh, it was a good, good run. And, uh, but, but uh, yeah, they also, after, let's see, a couple of years after September 11th, I get, they started realizing, hey, we need more special operations guys. We need more special forces. We need yeah. more um, uh, combat controllers. We need more SEALs. We need more Rangers. And uh, they're like, okay, big bureaucracy. Make us more SEALs. Make us more uh, Rangers. Make us more SF guys. And uh, so what they did to try to stem that attrition, that 80%, was to put everybody that was going into special operations in the Navy into one company at boot camp. 
And then after boot camp, instead of going to get a military specialty like we did before and then go to BUDS, knowing that 80% of those people are going to quit very quickly and then go out to the fleet and have the, already be trained up in their military specialty, right. uh, we're going to train them up. We're going to keep them there. We're going to get give them good nutrition. We're going to talk to them about mindset and leadership. And we're going to talk to them about how to hold these boats and climb these ropes. And we're going to get them as strong as we possibly can. And uh, then they'll go to BUDS. And so... Tons of money was dropped into this project, and they still do it, still do it today. And people would show up at Buds, and then we got eighty percent attrition. <laughs> oh, so no. it's uh, we called it fitter quitters, mm-hmm. really. So I mean, it just goes to show and confirm that hey, this is all it's a mental deal. Any high, any average high school athlete can physically make it through Buds. If you're not in the best shape, you're going to get in shape in about one week uh, by running in that sand and running, going through that obstacle course. Like you're going to get in shape there. Uh, better to be in shape before you get there, but average average fit first person can make it through physically it's that that mental piece and mm. that's why they they wear you down mentally yeah. and that's why uh that first night of hell week you're thinking about friday that's probably not where your mind should be <laughs> good good uh good thoughts there and, and I, I appreciate you actually approaching it from that angle that that mindset piece uh, uh that is uh that's an important one mindset's an important thing even in the world of self-defense uh personal defense carrying a gun concealed carry uh I mean, different mindset, you know, different uh, arenas for sure, but mindset is key. And of course, as you served for 20 years, uh, I'm sure that that was something that can, had to obviously continue with you. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was, I think it was part of me really since birth. I think all of us mm-hmm. are kind of born with that, um, that mindset and that, uh, we had that understanding that, hey, we have a sixth sense here. What is that? And, and, you know, today you don't have to pay attention to it as much as you did maybe when a saber-toothed tiger was about to eat you, but that's still there. That's, that's in our DNA, uh, providing for your family, uh, hunting, putting that food on the table, and then defending your family, defending the tribe, defending the country. Those are things that are innate in all of us, and we're all here because our ancestors were good at those things. Somewhere along the line, uh, they were good at those things. They had to be, or we would not be here today. Uh, today, especially in this country, things are a little easier. Uh, we're a lot more comfortable today and so people don't pay attention to that sixth sense Uh, a lot of people don't train a lot of people don't think about uh, where that food came from that's on their table they don't think that they're gonna have to step up and defend their family you know what they're gonna do they can call uber eats and have something delivered or somebody uh, if they need the police they're gonna call 911 you know they're not gonna take care of it call call 911 and wait and wait for 10 20 30 minutes uh, maybe so it's uh, yeah it's it's it we've kind of I don't know. We've gotten more comfortable in this in this country, probably to our detriment. And uh, but not everybody, mm-hmm. not everyone. And those of us that kind of recognize that call and kind of heed it and think about it and train for uh, for that situation that that we as uh, as leaders of our of our families recognize that we need we need to step up and defend them um, and uh, also train them so that uh, that they can do the same for their families when they get older so uh, so it's always I think it's always been a part of me the military kind of hones, hones it a little more because when you're going into to Ramadi or you're going into some of these places like that high ID threats or you're going to these, you have to be you have to be on and yeah. a lot of guys when they came home they had a hard time flipping that switch and I talk about that actually in the novels because it was something that was um, I don't know something I thought about quite a bit uh, a lot of guys came home and didn't know how to kind of regulate that and didn't know how to I shouldn't say flip the switch I should say kind of maybe regulate it a little more um, and realize that hey when they step out that door at home uh, they're not stepping into the streets of Ramadi in 06 yeah. um, but uh, it's good to be aware and vigilant but then there's a hyper vigilancy where you can take it maybe a little too far uh, that's not healthy 
So it's uh, it's yep. knowing how to how to regulate that yeah, and know totally. know when to be uh, condition yellow, when to pop it up, and when to bring it back down. And and most of the time, just to be uh, to train so you're competent and confident with your chosen weapon systems. Uh, but that uh, but that you're not always you know going from shadow to shadow, corner to corner, looking for snipers on every rooftop. Yeah. So uh, the situation really you know dictates uh, that that level of, uh, of so awareness. True. But but all of us need that. You always have to be aware. That's for sure. Always. Uh, Always have that head looking around, yeah. just being self-aware, and yeah. uh, hopefully react to things before they uh, uh, before they get too dicey. Yeah, really good thoughts there. Thank you, Jack. Uh, I think we should uh, transition a little bit into talking about your books. Sure. So, in fact, uh, some of what you're talking about comes out in your books in the theme of your books. And so, tell us about the Terminal List, True Believer, and I know you got a third one on the way, yeah. so what, what do we got? Yep, so the first book was the Terminal List, uh, second one, True Believer, third one, Savage Sun, coming out in April here. But uh, the first one takes place in and around San Diego, which is where I was when I started writing it. I was uh, at that point in my uh, time in uniform where I'd made the decision to get out of the military and take mm-hmm. care of my family. I had my last deployment to Iraq was the last time that I would tactically maneuver guys on the battlefield, and I'd made that rank where... Uh, yeah, you're you're still a leader, but you're not tactically leading guys on the battlefield anymore right. when you're up at those those senior ranks. Uh, so I started enlisted. Was a, I wanted to be a sniper, and typically officers aren't snipers. So I started out uh, enlisted guy, got became a sniper, and then went to OCS, which is the same thing as boot camp. You just get yelled at by Marines instead of Navy people, and then went right back to the, the SEAL teams as an officer. And when I was getting, when I made the decision to get out, I also made the decision to start writing. And that was uh, we're in San Diego. And I, I want to carry, I want to con- conceal, and I want to protect, be able to protect my family. But guess what? You're in California, and you can't do that very easily. Right. Uh, I was very lucky in that I did get a concealed carry permit there, but it took a lot of doing. And they make, and when, even once, when you when they you get kind of approved to to go through this process, and you and you're going to get a concealed carry permit, they make it as hard as they possibly can to go and do these right. things because you have a 30 day window where you have to have your Bills that show where you live. Uh, it can't be one from like two months ago that you find out of a drawer. Like it has to be in this 30-day window where you also uh, take your test, go to the range, which is only open one day a month. So if you're working, uh, oh, no. it, it's open for other people to go there to shoot, but for you to go there and qualify, if you're actually if you have a job where you can't right. leave that job to run down there for an hour and uh, and do your qualification, you're out of luck. You fall out of that 30 days. So. There's all these administrative things that uh, are not set up to right. make it uh, uh, easy for you to even just go through the process. Yep. But and, then, and, then, and they don't care that you're a Navy SEAL and that you have clearances <laughs> and background checks up the wazoo. Or, or know that you could just go on base <laughs> and check out any sort of weapon that you right. want or any explosive <laughs> that you want. And you, it's ridiculous. So if you right. so let's say you did have a concealed carry permit in California, which I did, mm-hmm. uh, then you get to the front gate and then you can't bring. <laughs> your personal SIG 26 on base or whatever you have, uh, right. that has to stay at home. So between home and base, you're really not allowed to have one. But then when you get on base, yeah. then you can go check out pretty much any weapon in the arsenal. Which right. is ins- Anyway, <laughs> once again, this is the government. This is bureaucracy. And uh, they excel at not making sense and not doing things logically. Uh, so point being... I, as I was writing this book, it, it was very natural for me to uh, uh, put a couple of paragraphs in there about how hard it was for this character, who's also mm-hmm. a former enlisted Navy SEAL sniper, who is an officer, who was at that time in his career where he's decided to shift gears and get out and take care of his family. And that's when disaster strikes in the novel. But uh, I mentioned how it is, how ridiculous it is that he can go on base and get all these things, yet he can't get a concealed carry permit in California after right. all the things that he's done, all the training he's had, when he has access to all these things anyway. So um, I had to 
had to throw that in there as a little little dig at the uh, the state <laughs> of California for sure. You know, not being very uh, <laughs> not being on the side of freedom. Yeah. Yep. So true. Well, and uh, now we got. Uh, True Believer. Uh, tell us a little bit about that book. Yep. So uh, it's a continuation of the story. And mm-hmm. um, when uh, when we talked earlier about that hero's journey, I was very cognizant that uh, each book has to fit in, in there somehow. Right. And uh, also a series with the same character has to, has to fit within uh, that larger story arc. Uh, so that was fun to figure out. The first one is really a book about revenge without constraint. And I put a little yellow sticky on the side of my computer that said revenge as I was writing. So if any paragraph, sentence, chapter, didn't directly or indirectly lead back to that theme, I edited it out. It was gone. Mm. Uh, And I think that really helped when I sent it to Simon & Schuster because they had already had any edits. And I thought when this thing went there that they'd have these, all these experts that would just, you know, change it around and, you Mm -hmm. know, make it palatable for the public or whatever they do. Right. They hardly changed anything. Uh, Mm. They had three questions. One was like, would he really say this here? Uh, Would he really think this here? And then a third one that I I can't remember right now. Um, So just like really basic fixes and they were really good fixes but uh but that's it and i thought there was going to be a ton more but uh and, and but was that didn't. different from your first book so this is that was the first one. Oh, you're yep. still talking about that was the first one yep, yep and the first one you have all the time in the world to get it as good yep. as you can possibly yep. get it uh the second one then uh you know, you're on that deadline you're on that <laughs> one a year deadline but i started writing the second one true believer before i even finished the first or before i submitted the first one uh because i was always going to write two and i thought back to john grisham who wrote a time to kill first and he could not give that book away. Mm. Uh, so if he'd stopped then, he'd still be practicing law mm. in some law office, you know, miserable probably. probably. Uh, but because he went forward and he wrote The Firm, that one is the one that took off. Then Tom Cruise is in the movie. And then we have a John Grisham novel every year since. Uh, but like it would have eternity. Been, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so if he had stopped, though, he could have discouraged. So I was always going to write two. Now, if both of them didn't hit and both of them didn't get uh, picked up by anybody, then I was going to reevaluate. And, of course, I had some contingency plans because that's important uh, to have some contingency plans as well. But most all my effort, all my bandwidth mm. went into making these as good as they could possibly be. Mm. Um, so the second one is really a continuation, and uh, I wrote Redemption on my computer for oh. that one. So it's a story of redemption, and that really transition. And I'd seen so many people get out of the military, then had been, and I was getting out of the military myself as I was writing True Believer, so I could take the emotions really behind that transition and apply them to a transition for the character. Him learning to live again, him needing to find that next mission, that next purpose in life, uh, which is what we do. And it's not just the military, any transition in life, any job, anything, any divorce, whatever it is, moving forward. It's all about getting back up after you get knocked down and, uh, and keep, keep pushing forward. So that's really what that second one is about. It's a, it's a novel of violent redemption, I like to say. Um, now, the first one, it is a, it is a, uh, it, it is a lot of action, and people love it, but there's a little bit more to it, too. And it's really about a guy who essentially becomes the terrorist that he'd been fighting overseas for, in this case, the last 16 years at war. Yeah. And he brings those tactics and techniques that had worked so well against us uh, from the enemy. He brings those to the home front to go, uh, after he unravels a conspiracy, he goes and starts using those tactics, techniques, and procedures against the people that have been sending uh, his troop downrange and that were part of this conspiracy. And then right. if you take it one level deeper, it's really about uh, a veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan who brings those wars home to the front doorsteps of people who have uh, been sending young men and women to their deaths now for, for 20 years. Yeah. So um, there's a couple of different levels. And of course, you can all this is based it. on 
true experience you know that, that you know that you went through right so this is all the emotions the emotions <laughs> and sure, the uh, the feelings come from real places so this sure, is a totally sure, sure. fictional novel but i think the way it why it, re, with, why it um, uh, resonated with simon and schuster and why it's resonating with yeah. readers uh, is because those feelings come from real places so yeah. i tap into things that happen downrange and then i apply them to a completely fictional narrative but it reads like like it's true because the feelings i'm so passionate about the things that uh, that i felt while i was doing these these yeah. different things downrange so i think that's what it made, made it stand out from the thousands of other uh books that simon and schuster reads and come across those desks every year and then savage sun that comes out in april i'm so excited for this one because it's the book i've wanted to write since the sixth grade when i first read the most dangerous game by richard connell it's a short story written in 1924 and really it's about uh hunter versus hunted and uh hunting of people and yeah. I wanted, I, even in sixth grade, I knew that one day I would write a fictional thriller that paid tribute to that novel yeah. that I loved, or that short story that I read in, in sixth grade. And uh, that Savage Son is that tribute. So it uh, really explores the dark side of man through that, uh, through that hunter versus hunted type paradigm. So I'm, I'm really excited about that one. Yeah. Can you tell us, I mean, obviously your background as a Navy SEAL is, is right from the beginning it, it kind of is mirroring your life to some extent as far as where the character is at in his life uh but uh your, your background also in, in in weapons and tactics and all that obviously comes to play in this and and that's a, a really cool thing because everybody's read books particularly if you know anything about guns at all you're like yeah that's that's that can't be that's not real there's nothing oh, like gosh. that that exists you know yeah. so uh you know how, how has that helped you along as you've you know, tried to, I mean, what kind of guns and yeah. weapons and things do we find in the books? Well, it's obviously very important to me to get to get that right. Yep. And uh, <laughs> even some of the things that I thought I'd known for 20 years, 20, well, more than 20 years, because I started training before I got into the SEAL teams, um, right. I wanted to make sure, because <laughs> I know people are going to check, especially with my background, they're uh -huh. going to check on all these things in there. But um, I've been coming to SHOT Show since 2003 or four. Mm -hmm. And if I was in Virginia Beach at the time, and a buddy called me and said, you got to go out, come, come fly out to Vegas. I'm like, I'm in Virginia Beach. I can't just fly out to Vegas. He's like, oh, this is this thing called Chacha. You got to come out and check all these new, these new lights and guns and suppressors and all this stuff. It's amazing. So I hopped on a plane to Vegas. And uh, I, I, at that time, the tactical part, even though it's after September 11th, the tactical side of Chacha was about as big as the SIG booth yeah. back then. Right. And uh, then I've been coming back pretty much every year. I only miss them for deployments. But I always want to make sure my guys, I was always a gear guy even before the military, going to the backcountry, rock climbing, whatever it was, mountaineering, uh, in the military gave me a lot of opportunity to uh, bring in better gear because you'd be surprised, especially when I got in, in the late 90s, the kind of gear that we were using, ridiculous. Like people just didn't, I don't, I don't know what it was, I don't know why, but uh, we had horrible stuff. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, it was cool to be able to uh, kind of, I don't know, bring that experience uh, from going into the backcountry so much growing up and bring some of that to the SEAL teams pre-September 11th. Then after September 11th, the, uh, the Golden Connex boxes kind of opened up a bit more and uh, the, the innovation that, uh, that really happened after that because we've been at war for so long, I mean, things right. have just increased exponentially. Um, but by coming to these things and being so uh, into the gear, into the new things that are coming out, always wanting to make it better, being more effective, being more efficient, uh, how can we, we parlay those into advantages on the battle, battlefield? Um, that was my life essentially for for 20 years is thinking about those things so hmm. that gets incorporated in here and now 
even though I didn't think of it at my first SHOT Show, um, the relationships that I made over those years of coming here and, and uh, talking about gear and giving some suggestions and learning uh, from all these people here that are innovating in the private sector and meeting other people from law enforcement, from a federal, local, uh, other, other military units, other military units from that, that aren't even from this country. Um, but just sharing some of that, uh, those experiences and how we're working and what we're doing as far as our gear and our tactics, um, a lot of that happened here yeah. uh, and now things have kind of come full circle and those same companies are asking me to come sign books because uh, uh-huh. it features the price very natural for me to put the products that I used in real life yep. um, and continue to use in real life into the pages of my novels so yep. to have those companies that it's very natural for them to ask me to come sign books in their booths and uh, and uh, then I you know, give uh, give everybody uh, in, in the company signed books, and they're really excited to see their products in there and how yeah. it's used. And we yeah. have this relationship from the past, so it's really really special to see how that's all uh, all come full circle. Yeah. And, you know, it was not by any plan of mine. It's just kind of how it <laughs> uh, how it happened, and, and it was very natural progression for this. But uh, but gear people, gun people will uh, will love the books because uh, I try to treat weapons in the novels, both uh, you know pistols, rifles, shotguns, uh, and blades and tomahawks, uh, as characters in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. So I like to have them add to the storyline not just uh oh let me google navy seal knife and see what pops up oh i'll have him carry this no i have the whole background i know the people that make the blades uh, i have a personal relationship with them i have a personal relationship with the people that make the ammo that uh, that make these weapons and uh and they're all in the books and woven into the storyline and i think that really really adds to it uh because those weapons are essentially characters in the novel that's fun I like it. Uh, of course, we're here in the Sig Sauer booth, yep. and I actually failed to mention that at the start of the interview that we got to give Sig Sauer some love because Amazing. they were so welcoming to have us come in and do these podcast interviews this week. So and, uh, you're wearing, you're sporting a Sig Sauer hat, so oh, you must fan. be a fan. <laughs> I'm a fan. I carry the uh, PT26, of course, mm-hmm. for uh, my entire 20 years in the SEAL team. So I will that will always have a. Uh, it, it, I'll be near and dear to my heart. Yeah. And, uh, and I love what SIG is doing. I don't think there's another company out here that is innovating, that is pushing, that has this, cor- this, this culture that mm. is so positive yet so humble at the same time. I, I just and love drive working with this, with this company. Innovate. They're amazing. Yeah. I mean, what they're doing, you go to, this, go to the factory floor and check out how they're doing these things. And then you talk to the CEO and you talk to the person on, that's working on the line. Like, Everybody and everybody in between, everybody is fired up to work there. They're fired up to push the limits. They're fired up to keep innovating, uh, to keep making products that uh, they get better and better. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah. They're not resting. They're not like, oh, we had a success yeah. with this. Let's just rest on that for the next 10, 20 years. Right. No, no, no. They're pushing the boundaries and they're testing things and they have a great group of people doing it. So Absolutely. I'm a, uh, a huge fan of SIG. Do you, do you see things they're doing that is going to make a difference out there for for your guys? Well, three, oh yeah. I mean, three, six, well, I feel three, six, five, like we're not just, uh, kicking in doors, uh, anymore. we do kick mm-hmm. in the doors and we do do all that stuff. And we bring in the, uh, helicopters and right. the Humvees and the ground package and the whole that stuff. But you know, we also go into non-pervasive environments and, yep. uh, and do things, uh, that you'd more closely associate with intelligence services or yep. with, um, federal or local police departments that are, uh, that are doing things and playing clothes and building cases essentially, um, and figuring out, building out a, a pyramid of a criminal organization. Well, you know what? It's very similar to building out uh, a terrorist organization, uh, who's connected to who doing all those sorts of things. So, um, that two, two, six incredible, obviously it was a, a game changer in the industry. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, I love that. <laughs> I, I carry that and, uh, and, and everything, everything they're doing in between the machine guns they have coming out. Oh my gosh, these things, yeah. these are, <laughs> They're crushing yep. it. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, and, and they know that where these things are going to end up. They're going to end up on uh, the sides of law enforcement, 
going, uh, leaving their house every day and going out to do the job uh, to end up on the sides of uh, not just special operations forces, but uh, the, now the entire United States military. Um, and uh, guys are going to be taking this into harm's way to say nothing of all the private citizens that are going to leave their house every morning with a SIG strapped on because they can rely on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, more so than that, the SIG Academy. We got to talk about SIG Academy oh, yes. for a second. I mean, yeah, you need. It's awesome to have a have a safe full of uh, full of guns. I mean, we, we all do. Everybody listening to this podcast probably does. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, you you also need the, the, that training. And yeah. uh, I got to get out to SIG Academy this year, and it was awesome. I signed some books out there. You know, hit the hit the range with uh, with all these guys. I mean, the best shooters in the world. I got to hit the range with, get a little tune up, and. Awesome. And what a great facility. Yes. What a great instructor staff. My uh, former command master chief at SEAL Team 2, Matto, he's in charge out there, runs mm-hmm. that place. And yeah. he's the best master chief I ever uh, ever worked for in all my time in Naval Special Warfare. Uh, just an amazing guy. So uh, so he's leading the effort out there at SIG Academy. So uh, training is obviously of vital importance rather than yeah. having a safe full of uh, 30, 40, 50 firearms. Um, maybe have one or two and get out there and know how to use those yeah. things be comfortable be competent be confident uh know how to use that thing under stress and uh get put through the ringer with it in uh, in the course of the academy or you know wherever you can go train get on mm-hmm. the range with that thing get uh get comfortable don't just get it and put it on your side get out there and train with it yeah uh, it's great advice and i'll tell you having taken a class at six hour academy as well uh fantastic place to go a uh, little bit out there, you know, if you're not close to the Northeast, you, you got to travel a bit, but it's, it's beautiful worth it. Though. Yeah, it it is I had beautiful. a great time out there. There's yeah. an old town, whatever that, whatever that, I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. Great, great restaurants, but then you get out there in the country and it's beautiful. And then that range setup is incredible. And mm-hmm. the, the store out there is amazing. Yes. And I thought the same thing. I was signing books and I was driving out there. I'm like, oh man, is anybody going to show up out here? And uh, <laughs> sure enough, yeah, they packed that place. It, oh, good. It is a great good. store. Well, the store is kind of, I mean, awesome. this like booth this. is like a representation yep. of that store. It's like a big, a big, yeah, exactly. This is what you see when you you go into that store, you see all this stuff. Uh, and then, uh, of course, this is you know magnified here where it's shot and everything. But, yeah, yep. get out to that. It's a destination. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. great. Now, do you mind if I ask you a little bit more personally as far as we talked a little bit about concealed carry. You carry concealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, your, what's your choice of concealed carry yeah. gun? So 365 yep. is what I carry most often uh, because uh, you know, I, I found that that smaller weapon system – for whatever reason, even though it's not that much smaller than an X carrier or compact, mm-hmm. but being a small, it, it's, for whatever reason, it's just easier for me to grab. Like yeah. I just find myself uh, gravitating to that yep. because you're grabbing, you're juggling kids, you know, you're, you know, the dog is barking, whatever else, the car there, everybody's in the car waiting on you and you're getting your stuff on and you're getting your <laughs> wallet, keys, phone, pistol, mag, knife. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> you know, it just seems yep. for me, for whatever reason, it's just uh, I'm much more apt to grab that 365 than anything else. Um, cool. And uh, but I do love uh, my X carry and the compact. Um, the compact in particular is mm. uh, is is one of my favorites. So Same here. if I'm going somewhere else, like where uh, like if I'm I'm leaving um, the general vicinity of where I am, uh, then I take that one. And yeah. um, and uh, just because obviously it's a little, little bigger and uh, you know, longer sight radius and yep. uh, obviously all that stuff. It's a good shooter damage. too. It's awesome. Yeah. Love that thing. Yeah, I ran that, that thing. through a uh, whole class. Uh, do you know Jeff Gonzalez by chance? So I don't know if you remember me or not, but he's one of my buds instructors coming oh. through third phase. So, <laughs> and he actually taught us uh, the pistol stuff. Yeah. And uh, I'd done a lot, of, a lot of work before I came in the military because I was always training, getting ready to go. So I was, yeah. I was always shooting, um, especially during my like the four years before I came into the military as soon as I you know, hit age 18, I guess. But uh, I, you know, seeing him handle a weapon in front of the class, you could instantly tell 
okay, this guy doesn't just do what the military taught him. Like he is out there on his own training because you can recognize yep. that. You can just recognize how someone handles a handles a weapon of any kind. You can tell a lot about them. And yep. uh, so he probably wouldn't remember me, but he was one of my third phase buds instructors. That's awesome. Yeah. I took a class with him last summer and uh, uh, shot that X-Compact the whole way through. Nice. Did very well. So yeah, yeah that's, that's a great, great system. And I shot, what is it, the X-5 Legion? Is that the, uh, yeah. oh, I shot that thing on the range. That was Awesome. I love that yeah. thing. And I think there's yeah. a new version of it out here, actually, this for uh, maybe for this show or over the last few months. But that thing rocks. Yeah. I love that yeah. thing. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And I got the Rattler, of course, which is that if you don't have a Rattler, you need one. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say about that, you know. Right. Uh, Thoughts optic on front. And I, yeah. I did get a, I, get, I got a, when I was at the SIG um, Academy at their pro shop, I got the adapter for a light because I was like trying to figure out, you know, you're juggling kids and you're writing books and working on all this stuff. And like, what, what adapter? I don't have an armor anymore. Yeah. So uh, it's very helpful for me for, for someone that just does that stuff and puts the right spacers in and gets the right screw in and it's at the right spot. And it's, uh, it can do it a lot more efficiently than I can. Um, but I found the right adapter for uh, for a light to go on that Rattler. So nice. that thing is now, I mean, that, that's the thing I grab that's yeah. next to the bed. If somebody's coming at 300 blackout, right. just, uh, yeah, lights small, out with that thing. Small enough to fit in a bag if you need to take it somewhere. That thing's legit. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a really cool, cool setup. Man, Jack, this has been a pleasure talking to you, buddy. Uh, we wish you the best of luck with your book, uh, the new release, Savage Sun. Thank uh, you. April. April 14th for 14th. Savage Sun. Yep. Nice. And the other two are out. And I, for since this is a, uh, a, a gun-centric podcast, yep. uh, if people are interested in more details about the weapons that I talk about in the book, yeah. um, then I talk about that a lot more on my website. So at officialjackcar.com, there's a blog. Nice. And you can go and I talk about the uh, you know, Mark 11, Mark 12s that I used downrange and uh, some of the weapons in the book that go a little little deeper specifically into those weapons where it's not necessarily you know appropriate to spend five or six pages <laughs> describing <laughs> right. a knife in one of the books. But uh, you can go to the website and uh, and learn a little bit more about that. And That's then, awesome. Uh, and then, yeah, Jack Carr USA on the social channels. I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But Instagram is where I'm uh, most active, and uh, where I engage with people. And I try to get back to try to get back to everybody because I feel so fortunate mm. um, that people are interested in these books and they're resonating with people. And uh, so I, I look at it as kind of my my storefront where I inter where I interact with everyone. And so uh, please uh, visit me there if you're interested in following along on the journey. That's awesome, and I'm glad you have a resource like that on your website to tie in with the books and, and provide that that greater uh, level of detail. That's yep. awesome. Yep, I love cool. it. Cool. Well, this has been a lot of fun talking with you today, Jack. Yep. Especially here on the tail end of the show. I mean, this is it. We're all tired, you know. Yeah. But, but you've oh, been you're tired. Very, you've been very. <laughs> what? Wow! Wow! So I did post this morning. Um, <laughs> I posted uh, what an accurate portrayal, uh, 100% accurate, of what the final day at shot looks like and it's chuck norris buried in his ram charger in lone wolf mcquade uh and he he wakes up under there they buried him alive and he pours a beer over his head takes a drink of it spits it out and then puts on the supercharger and blasts out of his grave with his ram charger and runs over somebody right. so uh so that's pretty much what shot show friday morning is like for those that couldn't join us here uh yeah. so that's that's exactly what it's like but it is it was so awesome to to start here with yep. a podcast at sig on tuesday morning and then to be finishing it up anchoring it today Absolutely. at sig yeah on friday so it Thank was a uh, yeah true pleasure to yeah. uh, get to talk for a bit and hope we can do it again one Thank of these you for, days for fitting me into your busy schedule and Absolutely. being here and would love to talk to you again sounds great thanks awesome. so much thank you jack so there you have it. That's a wrap on the special Sig Sauer Shot Show Week podcast interviews. Uh, indeed, very appropriate, I think, to end with an interview like that with Jack Carr. 
Again, author of Terminalist, True Believer, and now soon coming out, Savage Son. Guys, give him some love. Head on over to officialjackcar.com. A lot of really cool stuff on his website there. Products you can buy, uh, books. Uh, He mentioned some resources on there as well. I got to go and explore that uh, some more still. And also found jackcarusa.com with other great products you can check out and perhaps buy. And 100% of the profit on the sales of that site, from what I can tell here, says that they go to supporting warriors, organizations such as National Ability Center, Brain Treatment Foundation, Rescue 22 Foundation, SOC F, the Special Operations Care Fund, Valor for Life, Special Forces Charitable Trust, and Big Hearts Under the Sky. A lot of fantastic organizations there. Anyway, as we wrap it up here, one more time, one big thank you to Sig Sauer. Guys, give them some love as well. Check out their website, sigsauer.com. And with that, I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to try to be long-winded about this. So until next time, don't forget to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.